What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. I am Joe Zakreski, joined by Red River Horror founder Eddie Kaiazzo. This is episode number 12. Can you believe it, Ed? 12? Wow. 12. Is that a lucky number, unlucky number? I can't remember. 12 has some significance. Yeah. I mean, maybe not for what we're doing. Yeah, probably not. You know, 13s are... Yeah. Isn't that a... Would that be our... If you're into horror movies, 13 becomes lucky? Maybe. Maybe. We, we have a good show coming up for episode 13, so... Yeah, that, we do. That's surprising. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, this is episode 12. It yes. is episode 12. No teasers, but we do have some really cool stuff coming up Mm -hmm. um still haven't found any but any more we have some volunteers just haven't had the time to record them still looking for more ghost stories more local stories from people so figure you know we have some delightful halloween beers from the conchahawken brewery nightmare on east elm street where the original conchi brewery is located yes we're enjoying those and figure you know what we'll have some fun i dug up some creepy stuff and you have no idea what I'm about to talk about. I, I know nothing so about this episode so far. We're going to get a pure reaction of me telling you true stories and see if they uh, give you a little give you a little chill. Well, you know me. If there's anybody that true scary stories will work on, mm-hmm. it's me. Yeah, I love this stuff. And that's why <laughs> we're like looking for more, more people to tell us their story. And I know we have some that are ready. We just got to set up the time to, you know do a recording with you. So feel free to reach out redriverhorror at gmail.com. Tweet at me at Red River Joe. You can do red at Red River Horror on Twitter. Anyway, you can find us. Facebook, Instagram. Yep. Be Let sure to know. subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow, leave reviews, all that fun stuff. Yeah. And if you can, partake in our hashtag games. We have Tony Todd Tuesday, mm-hmm. hashtag Tony Todd Tuesday, and hashtag Women in Horror Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. We'll keep building on that. We can think of some other ones. I know. So, hmm. We'll think of something. And if you think of something, send it our way. Yeah. I mean, that's how it started was from another hashtag thing. And then you threw a suggestion and we're still rolling with it. We are still so, rolling along yeah. to episode 12. Yeah. I mean, it continued after we pretty much stopped doing it. Like fans of Tony Todd kept it alive. You're right. In the interim, <laughs> yeah. in the in the years that we've kind of taken off of that yeah. from the old podcast with the Tony Todd Tuesday to now Red River Horror Podcast. Yeah. Thanks to the Team Toddsters, which they came up with also in between. They Hashtag did. Team Toddsters. Yeah, which is great. Love them. It's a yep. wonderful community. Everyone's really, really nice. You'll yep. get likes. You'll get retweets. It's a good time. It's fun. We have fun there. We all float. We all float, especially (laughs) Joe. Great choice, by the way. Mm -hmm. Nightmare on East Elm Street. Mm -hmm. Again, nobody is paying us to say this, but this is excellent pumpkin ale from Conchahawken Brewing. It's it's one of the better ones, so not overly sweet. It's got a good, like, bold, full flavor to Mm -hmm. it that's, like, good for, like, a fall chill. Yes. Yeah. Hits the spot. Hits the spot. Hitting the spot. All right, man. Lay it on me. Creep me out. Yeah. So there was a couple of things I was looking for. I was like, oh, let's try and find something disturbing. And the one I'm going to save for last, I don't know how many we're going to do. We might end up just doing two. We'll see. Because the main one that I found is like, whoa. Oh, man. And I can't believe I didn't know about it. So if you're listening and you know about this, be like, how do you not know about that? Let me know or just leave me alone. 
No, all all, <laughs> all social media interactions are good interactions. So if True. you if you ha- if you've heard this and you're like, guys, really, you don't know this, then please let us know at Red River Horror and at Red River yeah. Joe. So first one, this one I found it popped up. I was like, you know what? What is happens like? Because when we were talking about horror movies, um, when we were doing the thirty one days, you know, The Exorcist always gets thrown in there as like one of the best horror movies of all time because it's terrifying possession is terrifying and i started thinking about that and um i remember there was some people we know who were telling us about a guy who was supposedly possessed and his grandma had a priest come over and i don't know how i wasn't buying what they were selling man they were all very adamant about it i can't believe this dude i can't remember who that is i don't want to say names because like i don't know if they are cool like okay they know a lot of the same people we know. Yes. So. But their grandma had a priest come over because they were possessed. Supposedly. Wow. And he like threw people around. And, I mean. Yikes. The only hint I can give you is you're the only one who saw his movie, I think. Okay. Yeah, I know who it is. Yeah. Do you remember the story I'm talking about now? I do. Yeah. It's, that was creepy at the time. Just because of how much the people around him yeah. reacted to it. Yeah. So it, it could have been BS. It could have been yeah. an episode of some sort that wasn't. I mean, honestly, if we grab one of those guys to tell it, again, I'm willing to listen. Yeah. You know, let people figure it out on their own. I mean, everybody who was around it, they said he was possessed. He was speaking in tongues. Like, was he speaking in tongues or is like he was just like non-communicative and he would just stare. And then when someone tried to get his attention, like touched his arm, he like flipped out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I forgot about that, but the people that were around him that told us the story, their their reaction seemed pretty natural and they seemed pretty terrified. It did. (laughs) And they definitely were. So maybe that's why I, I mean... I want to believe in certain things, but I'm also skeptical about certain things. Absolutely. That's our special guest, Pumpkin. You might remember her from Barks. <laughs> yeah, she had surgery, so she's yeah, joining she's, us. She's a hurting pup, so yeah. don't mind her. She's just no. hanging out, relaxing. Yep. So when I remember hearing about it, it prompted me just to basically Google. I'm like, is there, what's going on with like exorcisms? Is that still a thing? And it led me, it was a... Uh, a Vice article, hmm. and even more to this story, and I'm going to butcher names as we go. Okay. So bear with me, because I'm going to be, I tried to like break it up on my own, but I'm going to just read bits from the Vice article. Yeah. Okay. And then after I butcher everybody's name, yep. don't judge me, but check this out. Okay. All right. So we have a 26-year-old man named Kennedy Ife. I-F-E. Okay. Is that a Ife? It could be Ife, Ife. 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 Could be either way. You can so, call him Ife and I'll know who it is. <laughs> so they were from a town, is an area called Hadley Wood. And I'm saying Hadley because it was a north suburb of London, England. Okay. So it'd be Hadley, not Hadley, right? Yeah. So. Ask your cousin. Yeah. He lives in Ireland now. Anyway. Oh, okay. Same day. Still, still English. Yeah. But so anyway, he, this guy, he's 26 years old. He starts to complain of a sore throat along with what was becoming persistent insomnia. And then he started to the, say that he needed to quote unquote, take a break 
from the church his family belonged to. And now that deeply worried his, it worried his parents because they were deeply religious. And they often attended this, it's called Jesus Sanctuary Ministries, a charismatic Pentecostal church in southeast London. So Kennedy's behavior grew increasingly disturbed over the course of the following days. On the 19th of August, 2019. Oh, so fairly 18, recent. 19? Yeah. A year ago, a little over. Yeah. A Friday, he threatened to cut off his penis before shouting that he would rape a young girl. So at this point, it sounds like maybe this guy's just a little crazy. Has some issues. Yeah. Religious family. Yeah. What's going to happen next? So anyway, his behavior, it provokes, he started like fighting with his dad. And what the father did, what the family did is they started to tie him up with like cable ties. And then later, so it's like day one of restraint. They let him cool down and they take him out for a walk. And he has two older brothers, Roy, Roy and Colin. So they, Roy and Colin take Kennedy out for a walk. Kennedy becomes quickly agitated, taking his top off and starts throwing punches at Colin before attempting to headbutt Roy. His brothers had said they were aghast. This was the first time they had ever seen behavior like it from their sibling. Returning home, Kennedy was quickly, quickly restrained, lashed to a bed with cable ties, ropes, and handcuffs. His brothers would take turn to guard him as he railed against this, railed against this serpent he believed to be inside him. At one point, it said that Kennedy shouted about the mark of the beast. Hmm. Pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. Especially if you've and, never seen that behavior before from your sibling right. who you've lived with your right. whole life. And the, the more I read about this, it's like the family's like, he never behaved like this before. It was like quiet, but it was always nice. And now suddenly he's like, he's got a snake inside him. He's, you know, threatened to harm himself, threatening to harm others, even attempting to harm others. So the family who's religious, they have two pastors from Jesus Sanctuary Ministries, and they arrive to pray for Kennedy in an attempt to exercise the evil spirit they believe to be inside him. On Monday, the 22nd of August, another of his brothers, Harry, phoned 999, which is the English 911. Okay. You know, saying that Kennedy was struggling to breathe. So he's been tied up this entire time in a bed. Okay. By the time paramedics arrive, Kennedy's dead. Whoa. Okay. So he's dead, tied up in a bed and he's dead. The police officers who arrived shortly after found the family attempting a resurrection around him. So they're surrounding the oh bed. Oh my Lord. And they're shouting, Kennedy, I command you to rise in the name of Jesus. And that's. Oh. So. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> he does not come back. Okay. He's dead. Right. He his his heart has stopped. He he's no longer breathing. Does does it say for how long? Hmm? Does it say for how long? Did he die or how long? So it's they they what we know is that they've had him tied up. So 19th, 20th, 21, 20th for like three and a half days. Okay. And pretty tied up pretty well. Yeah. So if you're a police officer, what's your reaction to walking in on that? Well, that's abuse. I mean, yeah, like, you're you're restraining yeah. somebody to the point where they're no longer living. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a problem. Yeah. So they end up 
all getting um, COVID tests. Those 18s when it happened, because March of 19, seven members, the family was found not guilty of manslaughter. What? Yeah. Wow. So, pretty interesting. And I was trying to find more of what they did, and there's just like a ton of English newspapers like talking about like you know they, you know yeah what are the he why had a mental health episode and ended up, you know wasn't there, like they didn't weren't at fault. Why weren't they at fault? No. So what did he do? On the record, I guess that was so atrocious that you would have to tie him down to that capacity. Yeah. And then what I think about when I, when I, with you think about like exorcism movie stories, you hear it just like, you know, eventually the demon's just going to take over and kill you. Yes. Is maybe, is that what happened? Well, it, it, it consumes you. So it's yeah. using your body pretty much as meat. So it, it's not really that you'll die. It's, you just won't be you anymore. Yeah. But we never, never know. They always solve it before. Right. right. And in real life, it wasn't. Right. Poor guy passed away. Yeah, no, that's that's extremely sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, if trippy but, that. Yeah, continue. I'm sorry. No, well, just think about. It. There's no, no one charged. Like they were charged. All, fam- all the whole whole family got off. Well, well, if I could make a joke, go for it. They would have been able to exercise him if it were a Catholic priest. There it is. It's always, it's always the Catholics that do the better job with the exorcisms. It's true. I'm sorry. You know? it's, it's just, it is, face it is true. Thing. I mean, think about like, let's just put it in, in movie terms. The better exorcism movies are Catholic priests. <laughs> yeah, right. Because what's the one that is, is that the, uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose? Yes. Is a Protestant guy? No, no. It is a Roman Catholic, Catholic? priest. What's, there's one. No, so not Emily Rose. There's another one where it's like, she's in like a barn and the guy's like a, preacher type guy that's uh eli roth's the last exorcism that's it yeah yeah and that's the weakest of the two we just talked about it is it is and no offense not bad no i appreciate it more now because i was kind of getting tired at that time not to move this into movie terms no it's fine we're we're having a good time right (laughs) when when that movie came out i was kind of getting tired of it seemed like it was popular to make fun of the whole backwoods thing and, yeah. y- you know, people in the South, people in, in the swamps and yeah. all that stuff. So the religious fanaticism, the people making fun of it, they were making movies about it all the time. By the time The Last Exorcism came out, I was kind of tired of that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I get it. Yes, this this family believes in this higher power and how messed up is it that this preacher's coming out and saying, well, this is, this is all hoax. Mm-hmm. This is all fake. And this, I'm going to use this case to prove it. But I, I appreciate that film a little more now, but yeah. yes, it is not as good as the exorcist. No, or I mean, nothing will be. No, no. <laughs> Emily Rose is a fascinating one too. Emily Rose is great because it's not straight up horror, which makes mm. the moments that are scary that much scarier. Right. I mean, that's what I like about it in association with like this story is the courtroom. Yes. Being a big part of it. Yep. It's like, I didn't like it when I saw it and when we saw it in theaters, Mm -hmm. I wasn't really that crazy about it. Watched it again. Really liked it. Yeah. One of those where it's just like, once I knew more about it, I was able to appreciate it more. Sure. So 
Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, so I'll get, that's my joke out of the way. If, if it was a Catholic priest, they would have been able to save him, but it wasn't. You're so. not wrong. I mean, they, they do the job. <laughs> they get uh, the job done. Espirito Santo. <laughs> no, I, that's creepy because that's too human. That's right. That's real. So that's scary in a whole other sense. Mm-hmm. If you said that he would have, they brought the two priests in and he, they resurrected him. That would have freaked me out a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I was like waiting for. Like I was, if we, we eventually will have like video to go along with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you had that face of just like no fucking way. <laughs> right. If he stood up and, or broke the restraints and he was legally dead yeah. for yeah. 10 minutes, 12 minutes. It's like, Oh, okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's scary. But no, that, that, that story is scary for a whole yeah. other reason. So I would just imagine, you know, what, what was going on in what's the big court in London, the old Bailey. I have no idea. It's the old Bailey. That's that's good uh, English knowledge, Joe. I know that from uh, V for Vendetta. Oh, okay. <laughs> Gonna blow up the old Bailey. <laughs> I think it was just a statue, and then I Googled it. No. Oh. <laughs> it's not. There was more to it. Than yeah, that. It was a good movie. It was, it was worth, great it was worth remembering. I love that movie. <laughs> Comic's great, too. It's a wonderful thing. All right. So, yes, that scares me just for the human element. I'm mm-hmm. very sad for the young man that lost yeah. his life. It's a shame. How about let's do a let's do a little doll. It's from 2013 in uh, Houston, Texas. Okay. So everything's bigger in Texas. Mm-hmm. So like when you think of haunted dolls, you think of like uh, Annabelle. Yeah. You know, like the bigger porcelain, or like even like Chucky's, like a my buddy. They're like bigger dolls. Yes, in size for yeah. sure. So, but this one, it was you know around that time was uh, Frozen. Hmm. So this child is, they got a Elsa doll on Christmas of 2013. Harmless. Harmless. Yeah. And so per this is a, from the news story out of KPRC two Houston news, the doll began it recited phrases from the movie frozen saying, let it go when a button on its necklace was pressed. Now, two years, it did that in English. The mom said this is by 2015. Two years later, it started alternating between Spanish and English. There wasn't a button that changed these. It just would do it at random. So you'd press the button and it might be might be Spanish. It might be English. Yeah. Okay. It just started and then it just started going off on its own. Okay. In either English or Spanish after having it for a few years and never did Spanish. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did it learn Spanish? Yeah. Or what unlocked so that the, feature? The family owned it for six years. They never changed the batteries. And the mother said, you know, it would either, it would randomly sing. And then even when they turned the, it would speak, sing, even when they started, tur- they turned it off. Mm-hmm. So December, 2019, they're like, all right, let's get rid of that thing. So they threw it out. Dolls in the trash. Family comes home one day. It's on a bench in their living room. <laughs> Ooh, yeah that's that's another level of creepy yeah and now they've asked their kid their kids are adamant that it's like they didn't go get it i mean they were with them the entire time right so there was no foul play not somebody messing around yeah with somebody else yeah okay and if it was it's someone who wasn't in the family right so that's what i would like to mention mm-hmm if you, you've been down the YouTube rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. It's where I live. <laughs> the, 
There are some really creepy videos when people are asleep. Again, you see the poltergeist, mm-hmm. you see things moving on its own, doors closing, opening shutters, all that stuff. What freaks me out the most is when someone pops up and is in your home while you're asleep. Yeah. There was one in particular video I was thinking of, we'll have to find it, where an Asian woman was literally living in these uh, these people's houses, this this person's house, and was only coming out at night, and that's how she was discovered was because they actually set up cameras. So that, to me, is very scary because, one, mm-hmm. I, I know you're going to continue this story, mm-hmm. but just... No, pre- no, no, this, is a, this one's a short one. We got our main event. Wow. So preliminarily, if there's not a punchline, mm-hmm. if it does turn out that somebody was messing around with the doll, that really creeps me out. Yeah. Because they would have to actually handle the doll to unlock its yeah. Spanish settings. Yeah. I didn't even know they were programmed like that. I figured it would just be a simple voice box. Yeah. I didn't know it would be programmed to do both. Yeah, maybe if there if there are any toy makers that listen to the show, if you could give us some knowledge about yeah. how how that would happen, because I actually have a story that would complement that very well. Mm. So I'll let you. Well, I mean, ultimately, luckily, they have a crazy family member who was an uncle who strapped it to the front of his pickup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it hasn't been back since. Oh, <laughs> so it's just strapped just to the strapped front. to their uncle's oh. pickup. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good punchline. I mean, that's a good way to keep it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's, well, now you have to wonder if it ever makes an appearance back at the home, then you know to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Just be, be move, move out of Texas and move to like New England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what did you, did you have something? I do real quick. Yeah. And we could, we could go over some of these tales in later podcasts but I think I told you the story you had one of our previous episodes you did with our good buddy, Evan Yeah, and his apartment in Conshohocken. Mm-hmm. And it was a, an old house kind of made up with multiple rooms. Yeah. It was an old mansion turned into apartments. Okay. When I was literally, and I say this and you guys can mock me out there. That's fine. I was like <laughs> an amateur ghost hunter. Yeah. I thought I took it more seriously than when you see what real ghost hunters do in real mediums and, and people that do real paranormal research, uh, uh, very much an amateur and probably was doing it for fun, but there were people that would actually call on us to check something out. Yeah. I mean, you guys went all in. We did. And we would we didn't know what the hell to do if we found something. We did find something. <laughs> You can actually go, the old group was called 76 Paranormal Research, right. and it's stylized like I-76. What's scarier than that? Um, <laughs> we should get a, who, who was all in it? Bros? Bros, his wife, Jen, mm-hmm. uh, Melissa, and I. Right. My wife, Melissa. We should get them come down and talk. It's, we found something very scary, mm-hmm. but what was most surprising about it, the, the reason I bring up Evan's story is another like job we were called in for was a big old mansion in Mount Airy that mm-hmm. had been converted to apartments. We didn't find anything there. Where we did find something was in a new development in Southampton, Pennsylvania. 
like new suburban built houses, maybe in the eighties or nineties, nothing, no history to, Mm -hmm. to the house. It was new construction. There were literal moments of toys going off without you even, you would be upstairs in like a closet where you felt like a cold space. Cause you bring like the temperature reader with yep. you. And then downstairs, all of a sudden the toy would go off and you're like, well, what was that? So you run down and, and a toy is in the middle of the floor and mm-hmm. it's there. We didn't put that there, nor was it there when we came in. So I'm just saying, I, I have a story like that in this suburban house, toys specifically, none were scarier then when there was an episode with the homeowner in t- in looking into her daughter's closet Ooh. it was it was as if it was lit by hollywood magic everything was black it was completely dark in that closet the homeowner mm-hmm. started freaking out like screaming crying and we have it all on camera and it's it's terrifying dude who has this footage? I, I believe I have it on DVD somewhere. Oh, man. I. It was so scary. And I would not, again, this big house in Mount Airy with mm-hmm. the apartments, I'm just like, we're going to find something. This is so yeah. old. No. This new house in Southampton, Pennsylvania, where the kids, the reason they called us was because the kids were having conversations with whatever beings were in the house. They were they were having conversations. And, and the mom was like, what? Who are you talking to? Just mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, like the man. I'm like, what man? So we went in to investigate, and all sorts of things were happening on the the audio recordings that we have. Mm-hmm. You can literally hear a voice talking, saying, who's wearing a flannel shirt? Mm. Bros was wearing a flannel shirt. And again, if you're a skeptic, you could probably be like, ah, mm-hmm. that's BS. <laughs> but this was real. Her reaction was real. We heard things, we mm-hmm. saw things, and what brought it home for me was this toy thing, the first instance of it, happened at the end of the night. We went back to this house, so we that was that was actually the second visit, because we had mm-hmm. to go back to the house, because obviously, again, if you're listening, feel free to make fun. <laughs> we're, we're not going to exercise any demons, we're not going to rid any spirits, we yeah. don't know how to do that. So, the second that was the second time it was more violent than the first time we were there. It's like the mm-hmm. first time we went in and found something, heard audio, saw video. I had a night vision camera. The second time it was like, okay, you want to be here? You really want to prod me? Fine. It scared the hell out of us. Yeah. And yes. So the creepy toy thing to uh, kind of bring this full circle, the creepy yeah. toy thing gets me. And I'm glad to hear someone wasn't living in the the home in Texas and moving the yeah. doll and changing its settings and things like that. Now it's strapped to the front of a truck. Yep. Yeah, but that's crazy. Like that you had that experience with the ghost hunting thing. So I'll have to dig up some of that. Yes. Some of that footage. And and if you're listening, if you want to go on Facebook and look for 76 paranormal it's research still there. group. Yep. Yeah. So, but do you remember before you started doing that the first time we attempted a ghost hunt type thing? I do. That yeah. was at Ian's house. Yep. Which was supposedly haunted. Correct. And what he would say, so it was the house his mom grew up in. And he would say that's like his mom or his uncle, like they would see, um, uh, I think it was like a great aunt or something 
sitting on the corner of a bed sometimes. And it was like, oh, well, we should do a ghost hunt up there. And if you remember, we basically, like, we just had it, kept everything pitch black and we just had a sound recorder going. Yes. And um, you, it was, was me, Ian, you, and Melissa. It was that first yeah, time. That first time. Because we we did that and then like we were up in the attic and you know, just nothing was happening. We were just like, all right, let's keep everything really dark and be as quiet as possible. Yes. Which and, is a good tactic, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened and when we went down and we started uh going through the audio, we had you know, we had like footsteps oh. that weren't ours. Right. Yes. And then we were like, cool. And then you guys had to leave. Yep. So then Ian and I are left there by ourselves, which then we had just a old alarm clock, like digital clock plugged in. Yes. And we, so we start listening back to it. And then you hear like the boom, 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 boom. And then the clock just starts going nuts. That's right. The numbers were just, moving rapidly. Yeah. And, and it's a that, digital clock. Yeah. The numbers just start freaking out. And it would stop. <laughs> when we would stop listening, it stopped. Right. And the funny thing about that was this was at a time mm -hmm. when cell phone video wasn't all that great. That I was from your phone. cell phone. Yep. So, because, again, we, we say this often. We're skeptical of each other when we show each yeah. other movies, tell stories like this. Yeah. But that was was like, oh, so the footsteps on the audio, we can hear that. Yep. <laughs> the digital clock moving like a like a wind-up clock would that's messed up. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and like other weird things would happen in that house. Like if I was in my room and it would apparently, I mean, it would happen to him too. Like he'd be in his room, he'd be in my room, and you would hear it. It just sounded like someone was just out in the living room watching TV. The closest house is not nearby. No. So it's not like it's a neighbor blasting their TV. <laughs> and it's like clear as day. You'd be like, yo, what's up, man? There's just not, TV's not on. There's nobody there. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. It was so weird. I, I can't explain it. It happened. I mean, it got me all the time. And it was pitch black outside that house. Yeah. I remember coming up just to either visit or mm. play some music, whatever yeah. it was. I did not like being outside that house by myself. It's very creepy. Yeah. Very, very, very creepy. So, And and what's strange about it is it is next to a busy road. Yeah. Not, not one that is has frequent traffic that backs up at those hours. Yeah. When it's nighttime, it's, it's pretty quiet yeah but but it it's almost has like a pet cemetery type feel oh, where yeah. the cars go by like it's it's such a road it's busy enough and big enough that people fly they do so it, everything about that experience yeah at that house where it was pretty yeah impressive yeah it, it's a creepy place yeah i don't know if he's back in there i mean he might be living there again i don't know i'm not but. sure yeah, really reach out to him and be like, hey, man, you want to talk about those uh, weird occurrences? Yeah, because even if he doesn't live there, he did live there long after you were yeah, out. I'm so curious if anything else happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm there sure. has. Has to be. It got weird. 
I mean, it was just, it just had that creepy vibe. It was an old house. Everything, you know, it was, it was like living in something that was out of a horror movie. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. But anywho, but that leads us to our main event here. Okay. Now this one's going to be longer. Okay. That's why I was saving this for last. And we're talking about houses. All right. So this is the story of Derek and his wife, Maria. Last name is Brodus. So Derek and Maria Brodus or Brodus. I'm going to say Brodus because that just yeah. fits my language. So anyway, they bought a house in Westfield, New Jersey, which is a suburb just outside of New York City on the Jersey side. Six bedroom house. The address, you know, in the for the sake of the news story, they give the address of 657 Boulevard. So they were doing some renovations before they moved in. There wasn't much mail except for a few. They just, they just moved in. They were doing renovations. There wasn't much mail except for a few bills, and they got a white card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in thick, chunky handwriting to the new owner. And the type note inside began. They got a note. No postage, just a chunky letter with some shitty handwriting on the front. Okay. On the inside, it says, Dear new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. Now, for the Brodises, buying 657 Boulevard had fulfilled a dream. Maria was from Westfield, and the house was a few blocks from her childhood home. The husband, Derek, grew up uh, working class in Maine, then moved up the ladder to an insurance company in Manhattan, come a senior vice president with a salary large enough to afford this $1.3 million house. So this is a nice house. Six bedrooms is significant. Yeah. <laughs> in that area? Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the Brodises had bought 657 Boulevard just after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, and they have three kids, and we're already being, you know, which of the house's fireplaces would have Santa Claus. <laughs> but as Derek kept reading the letter from his new neighbor, it took a turn. It said, how, do you, how did you end up here, the writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its, from its force within? <laughs> the letter continued. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched it in the 60s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Oh man, so, that's creepy. Yeah, that look, dude, look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. This uh, is coming from a local news story. Yeah, I would be out. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, we're rich enough, we can move. So the author's reconnaissance is apparently he's already started watching them. So he must have been whoever this is has already started looking. You know, they keep an eye on the house. Physically looking at yeah, them. because the letter identifies the Brodus's Honda minivan as well as workers renovating the home. In the letter, it stated, I see already that you have flooded 657 with the contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> so early in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and chatted with their new neighbors while their children, who were 5, 8, and 10 years old, ran around the backyard with kids from the neighborhood. 
the letter writer seemed to have noticed because it continues, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. <laughs> and then he asked if there are more on the way. So what he said, do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. <laughs> yeah. And why didn't you call the cops after this second letter? So, so the envelope, it's got no return address. Who am I is what the person wrote. He says, <clears throat> still going on. So this is the first letter still. This is the first letter? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So he said, there are hundreds. What is it? So who am I, the person? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. It says, welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Followed, so, followed by a signature typed in a cursive font, The Watcher. <laughs> why <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know so this is it's at night the guy derek he, after he finishes reading this he starts ru he runs around the house this is what he this is his story is that he ran around the house and he turns off all the lights so no one can see inside and then called the police oh sure that so there's your, there's your, your yes. logical move. Please. So the officer comes to the house. He reads the letter and says, this is the quote, what the fuck is this? <laughs> he asked Derek if he had enemies and recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back portion in case the watcher tried to toss it through a window. It's like, okay, that's reasonable. Sure. This guy's a uh, pretty, pretty, pretty creepy. So they're not full. They're not living in there yet. So he rushes home. And where we got Derek rushed back to his wife and kids who were living at their old home elsewhere in Westfield. That night, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them 657 Boulevard, so the previous owners, to ask them if they had any idea who the watcher might be or why she or he or she had written. Now, he says, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. <sighs> I asked. So that woods. was in the, oh, that's what, that's what it was. So that was in the letter. That was Sorry, in the, the letter. Order. Yeah. Yeah. I asked the woods to bring me young blood and it looks like they listened. <laughs> so Andrea Woods replied the next morning, a few days before moving out, the Woodses had also received a letter from the watcher. She said the note had been, the move had been odd. She said, and made similar mention of the watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea, Andrea said that, her and her husband never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without much thought. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met, and all of whom were now suspects. Makes and sense. Naturally. Yeah. So the Brodises spent the next coming weeks on high alert. 
Derek even canceled a work trip. And whenever Maria took the kids to their new house, she would yell their names if they wandered into a corner of the yard. When Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block, he froze when the wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. The wife that, so they, were showing that they were the, showing the house to. Oh, man. So the Brodus's general contractor arrived in the morning to find that a heavy sign that he hammered in the front yard had been ripped out overnight. Mm. So, you know, contractors put those like, you know, whatever. They're, yeah, they hammer they're, it down. Yeah. <laughs> that gets pulled out. That's not an easy feat, nor is that a quiet one. Uh-huh. So, two weeks after the first letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will tell. <laughs> now, this time, the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, and he misspelled their names as Mr. and Mrs. Bradus. And it's like Brodus, so it's like broad us. He just put Brad us. So okay. he's, he's heard it, is my guess. He heard the name. Has to, like, yeah, he doesn't know the spelling, but he knows the phonetic, like... He, I mean, even if he checked a piece of mail, like he would see the name on something. Yeah, you figure but, he would at least have access to that. If it's a he, now right. you said the wife. Oh, well, we don't even know. I mean, I'm just speaking in general. Okay. The, the watcher. The, so the, wi- the wife that they were showing the house to, the, the couple. It would be nice to have some young blood in the, yeah. But they are a youngish family. Right. Their, their kids are young, you know? Okay. And he's uh, only 40. I don't know how old the wife is. It's like they're not an old family. Well, I'm, I'm following and I'm paying attention. Yeah. That's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> so. <clears throat> All right, let's see. It's hard for me to do. I mean, making yeah. fun of myself. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I lost my place. So let's see, where was I? So the watcher, they spelt their name wrong, but their names are now in Mr. and Mrs. Bradis in the letter. So had the watcher been close enough to hear, you know, one of the contractors talking to him? The watcher boasted of having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. The letter identified the bros as three kids by birth, by birth order, and by their nicknames. The ones Maria had been like the nicknames that Maria had been yelling if they wandered off too far in the backyard. Right. The, so they're close. That's again, I'm, I'm following along. I'm, I was yeah. thinking of that. So he says in the letter, <laughs> I keep saying he, but it's he or she. I can't tell, but. Interesting, though, that they had the order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By age and by their yeah. nickname. So they're hearing. They're creeping around somewhere. Yes. And the letter continues. I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asks about one child in particular whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? The letter continued. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they afraid to go down there? Or are they afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? 
where we all sleep on the second floor. Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bratis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought you, brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Hmm. <laughs> now, I, I was paying attention intently. I had thought they were already in the house. Not so, just yet. So the contractors were working on the house and mm. they weren't moved in yet. Yeah, so they're moving stuff in, but there's a lot of work being done to the house. Okay. So the second letter came when she was checking out like paint swatches or whatever, like going over paint or they'll stop in and check on the contractors. The kids are playing out back and are like, don't go too far. Yeah. You know. So there's a lot to be done. It's a big house. Big house they're renovating. So after this letter, Derek and Maria, they stopped bringing the kids to the house. They were no longer sure or if they, you know, if they would even move in at this point. So several weeks later, a third letter arrives. Are they in, are they in the house? Um, no, <laughs> because they're a little freaked out. I'm not sure if there's still work going on, but no, they're not living there. Hmm. So the the watcher hasn't figured out from the mail that's come collected. So just just a, a little mm -hmm. fact check here. Yeah. If the family hasn't moved in, they're receiving mail. Yeah, I'm sure they're still getting like they probably started changing some of their billing. Okay. Because you know it's like they're anticipating on being there. Right. Like that was the plan, so I'm sure they moved some stuff there, and I'm sure there's like. I mean, the township might have a water bill or something. Like, you know, there's probably something that goes to it. They probably have the electric hooked up. Right. Though it's 2019 when this is going down. Yeah. So why? Uh, so the third letter arrives. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I do everything digital, but I still get mail. So yep. who knows? Excuse me. I'm in digital marketing. If you're, if you're a company that... Mm -hmm is still doing direct mail. I have a more effective tactic use, using email. You can target people by zip codes. And if you uh, want to target a family that has a household income, such as the Brodus's, I can help with that. Yeah. Continue. Well played. <laughs> so third letter arrives and says, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. So many Westfield residents compare their town to like a, uh, Mayberry, the idyllic setting for the Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith show. So, you know, a place where a new neighbor might greet you in, with a welcoming note. Well, you know, it's 45 minutes from New York and a bit too slow for singles, meaning the town's 30,000 resident, residents are largely well-to-do families. I mean, this year, Bloomberg ranks Westfield as the 99th richest city in America, but only 18th wealthiest in New Jersey. And in 
2014. Okay, so this starts in 2014, finishes in 19. Sorry. Don't mind me. But either way, it's considered, it's one of the country's top 50 safest, 30th safest town in America. Right. It's a, you know, it's an affluent neighborhood. To say, I mean, when we think of New Jersey, we think a lot of the the shitholes of New Jersey, but New Jersey has a lot of money neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, New Jersey's tightly packed. It's yeah. it's extremely dense. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, why why would this even why why would this even be a thing? So, there's one thing that a lot of neighbors will get like um, up in arms about. So it's like one activity all locals recognize as like treacherous is trying to buy a house. There's a lot of money and a lot of ego. So one resident who was talking about this, who, you know, they're going to remain anonymous, but it's just like, this is why they're th- they think it's just someone who's jealous because it's a nice property. I think that would be the logical. Yeah. Thought. Like that, if you were, if you, if there was no superhuman element, a supernatural element. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Yeah. So it's like this person who was interviewed about these, these letters just around the neighbor. It's like, I've seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. Oh. For a house in these neighborhoods, like that's crazy. <laughs> that's that's a hell of that's a bidding yeah. war you and I can't uh, do uh, together. I don't yeah. think. <laughs> and the Brodus's house was on the Boulevard, a wide tree-lined street with some of the more desirable homes in town. As the watcher had noted, the Boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the Boulevard. Hmm. So that's the hot spot. So, house was built in 1905 perhaps the grandest home on the block. And when the Woodses put it up on the market, they had received multiple offers above their asking price. That led the Brodises to initially suspect that the watcher might be someone upset over losing out on the house. But the Woodses said that the one interested buyer had backed out after a bad medical diagnosis, while another had already found a different home. In an email to the Brodises, Andrea Woods proposed another theory. Would the mention of of the contractor trucks and your children suggest that it was someone already living in the neighborhood. You know, not someone who's jealous of losing out on this big home. Right. Because I don't think that makes sense. Could be a creep in the neighborhood. I mean, I've never heard of, I've heard of, obviously if there's a foreclosed home and you buy that, then that's, Mm -hmm. that will cause prop that can cause serious problems and be very scary for, Mm-hmm. the people who purchased the foreclosed home. So I've heard instances of that, but yeah, thinking of this story as a whole, you, I, see, I'm more invested in it. Like you're, you're bringing me into the, yeah. into the zone thinking more logically. Yeah. Why would somebody be that pissed off over losing a bid? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a bit much. Yeah. It's that's like, a stretch. I get it, but I don't think it would go that far. Yeah. Like I would see someone being like that, maybe vandalism, more so than right. trying to creep someone out. This, this, there's intent here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so one thing that I forgot to mention is like these, these other ones, they, they have postage, just no return address. Okay. So, so I, yeah. that takes away the physical element. I so thought the, they were physically step being delivered. Step one was. So first one was. Okay. The other two, no. Okay. So they, they were posted. Mm-hmm. And it's postmarked June 4th. So there, the first one, or was what was it? Oh no, it was the first one. My bad, dude. I'm terrible at this. It's okay. <laughs> but it was postmarked June fourth, before the sale of the house was even public. Wow. 
So the Woodses never put up a for sale sign. And only a day after the contractor arrived, after the contractor arrived, the renovations were mostly interior, and people who lived by lived nearby mostly said they didn't even notice an unusual commotion. So it's not like they're doing exterior work. What they're just like doing? You're just going to see a truck out there. If you're going to spend that much money on a house and yeah. you want to make it yours, yeah. So Derek and Maria, they tip. They have the cop comes in who's Detective Lugo. They walk him around the house. They show him there was an easel on the front porch that was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. So that's giving you the angle because the watcher mentioned the child who was working on the easel that you can't just see from a street view. Okay. Okay. So the watcher's been in the property for mm. sure. That confirms it. Mm-hmm. And so after the they had interacted with some of their new neighbors this point. So the story continues. It has that they went to a barbecue after the first letter. They didn't say anything about the watcher because the police told them not to. And they were scanning that party for clues while keeping tabs on their kids who ran guidelessly through a crowd that made up much of the, of the suspect pool. So we kept screaming at them to stay close. People must've thought we were crazy, but if the watcher was there, that might be how they know their names. Mm Mm-hmm. So, let's see. At some point, Derek was chatting with a guy named John Schmidt who lived two doors down. When Schmidt told him about the Langfords who lived between them, between them, Peggy Lamford was in her 90s and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. So, the family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway as kind of a Boo Radley character. And Derek thought the case was solved. It had to have been like the weirdos next door. In in between the Langfords. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, you know, a bunch of 60-year-old people who still live in their childhood home. Yeah. It's a little odd. They've it, definitely been there. and It's odd, but that's an affluent neighborhood. Yeah, but a lot of people I've met who like are that age and never branch out have like a weird obsession with like legacy. Hmm. Even though that they don't really have one, they're just that's what's something that keeps them going. Interesting. I only have two examples, but like those two people don't know each other. But it's like they're the same. It's weird. Like people in their fifties and sixties who still live with their mom and dad. It's a little odd. Yeah. And not because they're taking care of them medically. So, yeah, I was going to say if you're listening <laughs> yeah. to the Red River Horror podcast yeah. <laughs> and this is you, this is not we're total context here. Think yeah. of this neighborhood. Uh, you said it's a little slower, a little quieter. Mhm. Um looking so, for more young blood apparently. So this is why they think that the case is solved. The Langford house is right next to the side where the easel is on the porch. So the family had lived there since the 60s when the watcher, you know, if the watcher's father, the letters had begun observing, you know, the father started observing 657 Boulevard, Richard Langford, the family patriarch, he died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. So a lot of things are adding up here. So when the Brodus is told Lugo about the family, he said he already knew, and a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to the police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Brodus's say that Lugo told them that the quote-unquote narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letters. This isn't CSI Westfield, Lugo later told the Brodus's. When the wife is dead, it's the husband. 
So mm-hmm. what, does that, what does that mean? What the hell does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. But there what was, the hell is that thing? When the wife, I think, I mean, he's just meaning it's just the literal, there's no, there's no secret to it. It's just like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So there wasn't much hard evidence, and after a few weeks, the police chief told the Brotuses that, short of an admission, there wasn't much the department can do. This is someone who threatened my kids, and the police aren't are saying probably nothing's going to happen, Derek said. Probably isn't good enough for me. After the second letter, Derek told the cops that if they didn't take care of the situation, they would have a different kind of case on their hands. This person attacked my family, and where I'm from, you don't do that. You get your ass beat. Of course, the guy's angry <laughs> if that were I, your daughter and someone sh- sent you a leg I would lose my shit yes you don't believe in guns but I can I can picture a gun yeah in I your mean, hand I, I could find a good good case <laughs> if that I mean if the police aren't doing anything about yeah. anything about it oh yeah my god <laughs> All right. So now at this point so now the police are just like hey if no one's gonna fess up to it there's no, no harm no foul when, like it's just something stupid Nobody's been physically yeah. hurt. They talk to the neighbor already. It's just like, you know, he doesn't know. It's like they're recluses. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Who knows? So frustrated, Brodus's begin their own investigation. Derek became especially obsessed. He started, he set up webcams in 657 Boulevard and spent nights crouched in the dark watching to see if anyone was watching the house at close range. Maria thought I was crazy, he told me recently at a coffee shop in Manhattan, where he covered a table with documents related to the case, including copies of the letters. This is the interview. This is where I got the story from. So mm-hmm. if, you t- if you couldn't tell that already, <laughs> which he and his wife had shared with only a few friends and family members. He showed me a map displaying when each of 657's neighbors had moved in. The Langfords were the only one there since the 60s with overlays marking possible sight lines for the easel and a circle for approximate range of earshot. So if you heard the kids' names being shouted in the backyard. So, let's see, the Brodises, they also turned to several experts. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Langfords, but didn't find anything noteworthy. Now, as someone who does background checks, you're not, like, if they're weirdos that live in that house, they probably don't do much. Sure. So, like, that background check isn't really going to find anything. And if they're super weird, I, I knew, yeah. know a few people like this that are off the radar. Mm-hmm. They don't have cell phones. They don't have no. – uh, they use public computers. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the type of people these neighbors are. Yes. So Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, you reached out to a former FBI C- FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clarice Sterling in the silence of the lambs. So they were on a high school board of trustees together and they also hired Robert Lenin, another former FBI agent to conduct a threat assessment. So Lenin recognized several old fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an older writer. The envelope was addressed to M slash M Braddis. The salutations included the day's weather warm and humid sunny and cool for a summer day and the sentences had double spaces between them the letters had a certain literary panache which suggested a voracious reader is that the right word voracious reader yeah sure yeah and surprising lack of profanity given the level of anger which lean in thought that might mean a less macho writer maybe he wondered the watcher had seen 
The Watcher, starring Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the detective trying to catch him. Leanne didn't think the Watcher was likely to act on these threats, but the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain erraticism. The first letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but that day was a Tuesday, June 4th, but that day was a Wednesday. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealthy in particular. The watcher was upset by new money moving into town. And there's quotes from it that say, are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? And by the renovations, he also wrote, the house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You're stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be the time be the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard. When I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there, the house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Hmm. All right, so now he's threatening violence. Yeah, so this is why the yeah. people are <laughs> easily, easily freaked, you know, rightfully freaked out. Yes. And, you know, the watcher, he's jealous that the brothers, they bought this home that whoever's writing the letter could never afford. Right. So it sounds like, you know, he's angry just because they're wealthy. He's jealous of the life they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the focus, they keep the focus on those Langfords, the next door neighbors. Now, in cooperation with the Westfield police, the Brodus sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a response. So now if this is the Langfords and they say, we're going to tear down the house, the if it is a, the watcher is one of the Langfords, clearly they'll respond. Yeah, that would prompt if it's that a response. Okay. But nothing happened. Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for a second interview, but got nowhere and his sister Abby accused the police of harassing their family. Eventually, the Brodus's hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer who met with several members of the Langford family, as well as their attorney, to show them the letters, along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points from which the easel could be seen. The meeting grew tense, Levitt told me, and the Langfords insisted Michael was innocent. One night, Derek had a dream in which he confronted Peggy, the eldest Langford, and demanded she build an eight-foot fence between the properties. Maria was having other kinds of dreams. One night, she woke up to an especially vivid one about a man who lived nearby. He was wearing these boots and carrying a pitchfork and calling to the kids, and I couldn't get to them in time. Maria said she thought almost anyone could be the watcher, which made daily life feel like navigating a labyrinth of threats. She probed the faces of shoppers at Trader Joe's to see if they looked strangely at her kids and spent hours Googling anyone who seemed suspicious. See, people are losing their minds. Rightfully yeah. so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. So, you know, there's reasons to consider other suspects. For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless. So this next door neighbor, Michael Langford guy, if he is doing it, he's either covering his tracks really well, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, he's doesn't, the person that's being interviewed doesn't really seem to give a shit. Mm. <laughs> All right. 
So the Brodus's say that Lugo told them that they wouldn't receive any more letters after he spoke to Michael. Then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, the Brodus's house painter, also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Brodus's property. One day I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs, Woodward told me. He was facing his house. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Brodus's house. Huh. So you got creepy neighbors on one side. Yes. Creepy neighbors behind you. Oh, man. It sounds like Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So by the end of the year, the investigation stalled. The watcher, no digital trail, no fingerprints, no way to place someone at the scene of the crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. The letter could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack, said Scott Krause, who helped investigate for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. In December, the Westfield police told the Brodus's they had run out of options. Derek showed the letters to a priest who agreed to bless the house. So there you go. Very smart. Good Mm -hmm. move. (laughs) So, the renovations to 657 Boulevard included a new alarm system. Good. (laughs) (laughs) And then they were all finished with houses ready to go in a few months. But the idea of moving in filled the Brodus's with overwhelming anxiety. Could they let their kids play outside or have friends over? Would they get a new letter every week? Derek priced out trained German shepherds and posted a job on a website for military veterans. All you have to do is work out in the backyard every day (laughs) (laughs) just to have some guys out there. Wow. Yeah. But the Broses hadn't bought 657 to feel bunkered in like a fortress. At the end of the day, it came down to what are you willing to risk is what Maria said. We weren't going to put our kids in harm's way. Derek had been responding to occasional alarms in the house, but sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes those alarms go off in the middle of the night. He'd go to the house, bringing a knife with them just in case. They were so joyous about their new home, and then with a few days, they were petrified. So imagine buying a $1.6 million house. How excited are you? You're thrilled. Sure, except for the taxes in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. Oh. But, you know, you're getting this threatening, threatening letter. <laughs> so, And you're Bill, finally in. Yeah. Bill Woodward, the painter, said, I'm a stranger, and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. It didn't help that the watcher seemed to be getting more and more unhinged. So, let's see. What did he keep saying? There's more to this letter. Okay. So, the watcher seemed to get more and more unhinged. So, this is part of letter three, I think. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it's my enemy. I am charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring me to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. (laughs) So 
they sell their own they sold their old home and they moved in with Maria's parents while continuing to pay the mortgage and property taxes on 657 Boulevard. So they're not living there. They're living with the wife's oh. wife's parents. So it's like I had to do things Derek says I had to do things like shovel the driveway. Just picture that little indignity. I'd go at five in the morning, then come back and do it again at my in-laws. They only had a handful of friends. They only told a handful of friends about the letters and others would be asking, why, why aren't they moving in? They would tell people that was legal issues. So they're not telling everybody what's going on. Right. So they thought that's, you know, take starts taking a toll on their relationship. They start, you know, was it Derek is he's a depressed wreck. Maria starts seeing a therapist after, you know, she has her regular checkup. Doctor asks how she's doing. She broke down to her doctor, starts going to therapy. Therapy, you know, therapist is she's getting now getting treated for post-traumatic stress disorder. It was very stressful. Yeah. So six months after the letters arrived, the Brodus's decided to sell. They they had enough. They're going to sell it. They've only had it for six months. So uh. they initially listed it for more than they paid to reflect the renovations they'd done. But few worlds are more gossipy than suburban New Jersey real estate, and rumors had already begun to swirl about why the house sat empty. One broker emailed, one broker emailed to say that her client quote unquote loved it, but that there are so many unsubstantiated rumors flying around, ranging from a sexual predator to a stalker. They needed to know more. The Brodus's sent partial disclosure mentioning the letters to interested buyers, and told Caldwell Banker their real their realtor that they intended to show full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. Several preliminary bids came in well below the asking price, but the Brodus's weren't ready to take such a financial hit and only wanted to share the letters with likely buyers. So they're not going to, you know, people are trying to lowball them. Yeah. Because this is a perfect time to lowball. <laughs> so it's just like, you're getting rid of this awfully fast. Why? Yeah. So, it's oh, terrible. So, a Caldwell banker agent who hadn't read the letters told them in an email they were being unnecessarily forthcoming. My friend got horrible threatening letters about her dog barking and she she didn't think to disclose, but the Brodus's insisted, I don't know how you could live with what we did and think that you could do it to somebody else or whatever. So where does this go? So Derek and Maria thought about what they would have done with the previous if the previous owners had told them about that, that first letter, if the Woods had told them about that first letter from the Watcher. The Woods both, were both retired scientists, told the Brodus's that they remembered the letter they received as more of strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. They say they had never had any issues. We certainly never felt watched, Andrea Wood told them. They rarely even locked the doors. But the Brodus's felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in. On June 2nd, a year after buying, so they got one year buying, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter just as as does the fact that the water sometimes sometimes got in the basement. Which, you know, if it was they didn't disclose that the basement flooded, then they have legal grounds. But just a creepy letter? Yeah. (laughs) You got nothing. Did they make up the fact that there was water in the basement? No. Okay. Old house like that probably does. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? So, the kids don't know about the watcher. The lawyer assured them that most small legal newswire might pick up the story. Let's see. Hopefully, the 
Hopefully the Broduses weren't millionaires because Phil Murphy just uh, mm. added a millionaire's tax in New Jersey. Giddy up. So poor Brodus. <laughs> so Eric. <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> so either way, because now there's a legal thing, now this is going public. Now it's public. Okay. So it's publicly disclosed. So a local reporter found the complaint, which included snippets of the watchers menacing threats. This is how we've been introduced the story basically start off as small clips and then this is how they're this person's released. reporting on it well that's the the original one that i found and this this person got the direct interviews with the broduses okay. and direct full letter disclosure interesting this is nuts wow so apparently the story goes viral from there which i never heard about this i haven't either but i'll, mm -mm. I'll wait until the end there's a similar that i don't know the specifics of there's a similar story Mm -hmm. That's been dramatized recently, mm -hmm. but I'm not aware of the specific specifics. So, but now that it's known, they have news truck. There's now news trucks at 657 Boulevard. Uh, one local reporter set up a lawn chair to conduct his own watch. The Brodus has got more than 300 media requests, but with the advice from crisis management consultant referred by one of Derek's colleagues, they decided not to speak publicly to spare their kids even more attention. They vacated Westfield and went to a French beach house. They didn't find much peace. Maria's grandfather had a heart attack and the friend they were staying with had a grand mal seizure. Mm. I don't know what this, but it can't be good. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason they hadn't moved into their home. The kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does this person live? Why is this person angry with us? To which Derek and Maria had few answers. Can you imagine having that conversation with a five-year-old? Your town isn't as safe as you think it is, and there's a boogeyman obsessed with you. <laughs> now, here's, here's the thing. There is a... No, uh, there's... No, no one's been caught ah. as the watcher. So, they... Somebody, so somebody did like a deep dig and so far they just kept pointing everything, everyone kept thinking, kept going to the Langfords. And so this guy, his name is Baron Chambliss, a veteran detective of the, of the Westfield police. He jumps on the case saying that the Broduses are victims. And I don't think they got the support they needed. So he was like recently, like he was close to retirement, but was like, you know, this is going to be, he's going all in. So he knows that they looked at Langford and according to Michael, and then there's another brother, Sandy Langford, Michael's been diagnosed as schizophrenic when he was a young man. So it's like, okay, that's so, something. Yeah. He goes out, he gets newspapers anymore. And Jason Schmader lives next door. People had known Michael for decades, told me they didn't think he was capable of writing these letters. So this guy, Chambliss <laughs> is able to get enough so that he can run a DNA on the envelope oh, wow. and the Langfords. <laughs> so he starts looking closer. It's not so much at Michael, but there's another sister, Abby Langford, who was a real estate agent who lives in the house. So she knows it. So they try. So now he's just like, it's gotta be these Langfords gets enough for a DNA exit test. No match. Even the real estate agent. Yep. Wow. So, 
And this is the Brodises were even plan they was they were planning on filing civil charges against the Langfords. It's not the Langfords. DNA proven. Hmm. <laughs> and they got to a quote from one of the Langford children and just says, This guy gets all these letters and all of a sudden people are pointing fingers. And that's the only quote we get from the Langford. <laughs> that's it. Which I guess is uh I guess that's fair. If so, it wasn't them, especially. Yeah. So no suspect. The prime suspects rolled out. Brodus's reopened their own personal investigation. They're still coy about sharing too much with the neighbors who remained and like everyone's, a, everybody's a suspect. So, and everything goes back to square one because they have a no match. It's, it's not the Langfords. It's, it's something and it's somebody, but who? All they figured out from the DNA is that it's female. Oh. But not one of the Langford sisters. So maybe Chambers figured could have been a the detective could have been a girlfriend or someone else who could have helped a boyfriend living elsewhere at the time. But let's see, Chambers said he didn't well, he stood up our reporter twice for a further interview. Boo. Boo. Whatever. So <laughs> Brodus's continue to be consumed by stress and fear. For the rest of the Westfield, the story became a little bit more than a creepy urban legend. A house to walk by on Halloween if you were brave enough. Hmm. I would totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we if we if we yeah. rolled six deep, we we would go on that property. Yeah. And then before they released before they released like all of the le- like before they started before this article, before they released it, it's like there's a theory going around that they just suffered buyer's remorse and realized that they couldn't really afford this home. So they were trying to find a way to get out of it. And this story would mm-hmm. be a reason to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's see if there's more to it. So I, I was off. So this did it happened. It's like this. This got all the information got released in 2019. The events happened in 2014. I apologize because even like Lifetime tried to make a movie about it. They might have, but the Brodus family did not give them any permission. They didn't want any part of it. They're just trying to let it go. So, like, this is their, um, what is it, a Mittyville? <laughs> yeah. So, well, there was something else here real quick. Should have got... I should have... I think there's something like he's trying to get rid of it. So, they had to figure out what to do with the house. Their lawsuits pending seemed unlikely to see it. It's not going to happen. Uh, in the spring, they put six back on the market, hoping to garner more interest, given how many people reacted to the... Their first one, Brodus is held well. Att- they had a big open house. People attended. Let's see. Handwriting to the watchers. So they had, they had an open house, started looking at comparing handwriting to the watcher's handwriting. What? So <laughs> some, some cocky guy from Staten Island said, fuck it. I'm going to get a house at a, I'm going to get a house at a discount. Derek recalled. He reads the letters and we never hear from him again. So they had a guy who was ready to buy it backed out because he read the letters Oh, man. So, let's see. What were they trying to do? 
So they, it's on a large lot at this point. Now they're going to actually knock it down and turn it into two lots and try and sell both those plots. Okay. That's so, smart. Yeah. I mean, if they partition it into two lots, that's two separate things that they can make double their money on. Yeah. Because then it won't depreciate by 50%. Like That's a good resolution. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Broad assistant sharing for more information. The let's see. So they tried to do this. The neighborhood ends up in an uproar. And let's see. Yeah. So them wanting to to tear it down and turn it into two plots gets publicly announced. So the West Westfield Facebook groups light up. Some expressed sympathy for the Brodises, while others point out real estate is always a gamble. Another faction was convinced this was an accumulation of a long con. Out of the whole scam artist story, there ends up being nothing more disturbing than this move, a local woman said. A man who coached the Brodises' son in football wrote, they were in over their head from day one. The application was jarring for the neighbors who had learned what the learned about the watcher from a lawsuit and always found it strange that the Brodises didn't share more information, not seeming to understand that they were following orders from the police trying to protect their kids. A typical Facebook conversation went like this one. Sounds like this whole watcher thing was a ploy. The owners are good people, not a ploy. Okay, I know nothing about them. That is the most Facebook <laughs> conversation <laughs> ever. Yeah, those Facebook groups are dangerous, man. Yeah. I think that's what's been... Uh, the hardest on people during COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a couple that I'm, I'm in that are just jokes. It's all just laughs. Oh, okay. Actual jokes. Yeah. I was going to say. Like that. real jokes, like just sharing goofy stuff to pass the time. Yeah. Some of those other Facebook groups are seething cesspools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get into this giant thing. It's a four hour hearing. The board reject the their town board township board rejects their proposal. Even if the plan had gone through, it only would have stopped some of their financial bleeding. They're, you know, they're paying a huge mortgage, paying tons of property taxes. You know, is 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 the watcher part of the board? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, just to give people an example, I know somebody with a home in New Jersey for $250,000. Their property taxes are $11,000 a year. Ooh, gravy. So think about what the Brodises are paying in yeah. property taxes. That money's gone. Well, they get some good news. Oh. A family with grown children, two big dogs, have agreed to rent 657 Boulevard. Nice. So the renter said, he, you know, we're not worried about the watcher, though we had a they had a clause in the lease that let them out in case they got a letter and freaked out. Sure. Which is fair. Everything's full disclosure. Fair deal. Yep. We know the watcher's here. He's sending yep. letters. If we get one, we can say, all right, we're out. So two weeks <laughs> after the renter, Derek went to 657 to deal with squirrels that had taken up residence in the roof. The renter handed in an envelope that had just arrived. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. This letter, 
two and a half years after the first letter it came out of nowhere. It was dated February 13th, the day the Brodises gave depositions in their lawsuit against the Woodses. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me. One of the soul cold neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you don't know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. The letter was less stylish and more wrathful than the others, and it seemed the writer had been closely following the story. They had seen the media coverage. I walked by the news trucks, and when they took over the, the, my neighborhood and mocked me, Derek's uh, superstitious, was it, seripitous, investigatory efforts, I watched as you watch from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempt, attempt, attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. The renter was mentioned. He was spooked but agreed to stay if the Brodises installed cameras around the house. And the letter indicated revenge could come in many forms. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. <laughs> so it's almost like they're starting all over again. Just from, like they get someone to rent it, and now another letter comes. Uh-huh. So the Brodises continue. They they're doing their own case. There's not much law enforcement can can go on, you know. And it's possible to look up and down the street to see the watcher. Could be practically anyone. So residents tell the reporter, if, you know, there's a teenager whose father had grown up around the corner, and a man who sometimes walked around the neighborhood playing a flute. An elderly couple behind the house had been there 47 years. The husband was the man Bill Woodward had seen sitting in a lawn chair looking at the Brodus's house. One of their kids has married a man who grew up in, of all places, 657 Boulevard. But these were bits of information that could be mean everything or nothing, depending on how hard you looked at them. The Brodus's sent new names to the investigators whenever they found something odd, but their greatest fear was that the watcher could be someone they'd never suspect. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. You could afford so, it. So now this is the uh, reporter got to go on a trip. He goes on a drive with Derek. Derek picks me up at the Westfield tra train station. And we drove by 657 Boulevard, which he and Maria tried to avoid unless they have to pick up the tax bill. It's all beautiful trees and beautiful houses, but I feel anxious, Derek said. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, what would my life be like if this didn't happen? We lost Christmas a couple times, and you don't get that back Christmas with a five-year-old. That's true. Like, think about that. Everything. Yeah, your life <laughs> I mean, becomes. It, it, it took away their life. Yes. <laughs> it's so, like. Oh, and then there's one. There's one last one. So. Where is it? The Watcher. 
no longer the watcher was no longer the only person sending anonymous letters in Westfield. Last Christmas Eve, several families received an envelope in their mailboxes. They'd been delivered by hand to the homes of people who had been the most vocal in criticizing the Brodus's online. One of them, who lived a few blocks down, uh, let's see, had written on Facebook, I wish we could go back to the days of tars and feathers. I just have the... I have just the couple in mind. Another family who got the letter told me it was weirdly poetic as the watcher had been and that accused the families of speculating inaccurately about the Brodus's. Includes several stories about recent acts of domestic terrorism in which signs of brewing mental illness had gone unnoticed. The type, the, all the type letters were signs, friends of the Brodus family. So that's <laughs> so now the Brodus's are bad. Well, now maybe, maybe they are, or is it this the Watcher person now just uh, playing, just completely playing games? <laughs> so, and that's that's the end. And then there's a fourth letter that signs off. You are despised by the house, and the Watcher won. That's the last thing they ever got from him. And that's hmm. it. Hmm. And that article came out in 2019. Yeah. Huh. Found it on Patch. On the Patch. That's as local as it gets. Yeah, that's pretty. The Patch for what? Westfield. Westfield. How did you find it? I started, I, I I just started digging for like real life oddities. Yeah. Basically like stories that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I went through a bunch and this one was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like I almost wanted to just do the entire episode on it, but I was like, no, let's build it up a little. Yeah. <laughs> so how would, do you think it's real? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I think if it's an affluent neighborhood, it means somebody with nothing better to do. Mm. You know, someone who's just bored. <laughs> Has time. Mm. Doesn't have to worry about money. Nope. Yeah. I don't think it was the next door neighbors. They're probably just weird. Probably. You know. DNA they got back was female, so could have been it could have been multiple people. Yeah. Who knows? What if it was a joke gone wrong by the neighborhood that <laughs> welcomed this new family into the neighborhood and eventually, if it didn't get so crazy yeah. so fast, they would have been like, surprise, welcome guys, here's, yeah. your, here's your pie. <laughs> Dude, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, my third time reading it. I'm just like, you don't feel right. Yeah. Dude, that, that gives me the creeps. Hmm. I would be I would be more scared mm. if there was some kind of resolution. I know some people enjoy a conclusive ending. Some people do not. I, I mean, mean, we'll have to I mean we could try and find the house and see if ask if be like, hey, do you guys get anything? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. We should go there. Yeah. If this was on patch now, obviously, the address was changed. Maybe. I didn't Google that. Hmm. 657 Boulevard, Westfield, New Jersey. 
Wow. So it's only about what two hour drive, if that. 90 yeah, minutes, ninety minutes. What was the address? Six five seven Boulevard. <laughs> How can I forget it? Bring what? me the young blood. The wa- it's on Google. It mm. populates as the Watcher Home, six five seven Boulevard, Westfield, New Jersey. And yeah. it shows up. <laughs> you can get directions too. It's it's called the Watcher Home. So there's an yeah. Home. Now someone can be like, I can't believe you didn't hear about this. I didn't. I didn't know about this at all. Like maybe it's bigger in North Jersey in the New York area, but down here on the Philly side, not so much. That's true because North Jersey is separate for, from New New Jersey belongs to New York. Yeah. South, <laughs> South Jersey, Jersey, yeah, is Philly. So, hmm, right. Very interesting. Looks like a nice home. I wouldn't pay a million dollars for that, though. No. <laughs> hmm. In the Google Maps picture, there's someone riding a bike by it. Could that be the, Could watcher? Be the watcher? My dog is still on Google Maps, Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the. He, he passed sadly in 2018, but. Um, what a buddy. It's. It's scary. I want to do a little digging now. Yeah. And see what ultimately came of this. But I say you have a great idea. Let's do it. Let's drive to the watcher home. You want to go? Yes. All right. Let's do it. Because let me see how far it is from another great haunt, Clinton Road. Uh, is that the, the trees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's Clinton Road. I'll, I'll explain Briefly, mm-hmm. just because we could do a whole episode on it. We will. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my dad actually drove Clinton Road. Let's see. Clinton Road. I just want to see how far away they are because we should definitely yeah. take a ride to the Watcher home. And then will we be marked? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that story. There's, yeah. There's a lot. I mean, I don't like it for... I. I of course, feel bad for uh, <laughs> sure. I feel bad for the family, but yeah, very much so. I'm glad ever- no one got hurt, right? I hope they all recover. And thank you for sharing your story. Yes, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, so, so I'm looking Clinton Road mm-hmm. route in West Milford. So, how far away is that from, from the I mean, it's New Jersey, everything's off the turnpike. <laughs> True. Everything is an <laughs> artery between Philly and New York. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, Clinton Road is located in West Milford, Passaic County. Mm-hmm. So this is Union. Passa- no. Oh, here it is. Okay. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So we would just continue more north. Mm-hmm. Into New Jersey, I will. It's it's an hour away. Perfect. So the the Watcher Home is an hour away, but if we're already in Jersey, let's do it. Let's, Sounds like we're gonna go to those and go to White Castle. I <laughs> I think it's it would be White worth Castle, it. New Brunswick. Ah, that's a that's Jersey. It's probably not open. 
At least least the watcher. It's got got a (laughs) drive-thru. Yeah, we can't open businesses. We just can't do it. (laughs) Um, But Clinton Uh, Road and the watcher home are both public places. Yep. So I say we do it. You left me in suspense. Mm Mm-hmm. I was creeped out leading up to it. You saw the goosebumps, especially after the first letter from the Watcher. Yeah. I'm going to do a little more digging, see if there's a resolution. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was excellent. Yeah. I creeped uh, out Kayaza. You did. Yay. You did. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, I mean, congrats, but it's not hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I mean, if you're listening out there, this is, these are the kinds of stories we're looking for. It doesn't have to be that intense, but if you got one to share, please let us know. Yes. Let's do it. I think some stories, because I experienced one on my little amateur ghost hunt that really scared me for quite some time, there are people out there that are far better storytellers than I that could probably make something that happened to them sound a whole lot scarier, so they can creep out Kayazo too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. I, th- I think we've uh, reached max capacity on this episode. Okay. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I think that was th- yeah. three stories, three good ones. We want to know mm-hmm. your thoughts. We do. If you listen to the Red River Horror Podcast, of course, if you could like, subscribe, review, yes. and all the different places in the podcast space, do all those things. Yes. And of course, follow along on redriverhorror.com for some great articles. Yes, be a friend. Be a friend. Redriverhorror.com. Mm-hmm. And Joe and I will update you. We will do a follow-up to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. We will visit the Watcher home and drive through Clinton Road. So mm-hmm. that might be a two-parter because they both have lore, as yeah. we know. But it looks like we're going on a little road trip to Jersey. Sounds like something to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe, thanks very much for sharing those stories. Yeah, man. And we got some good stuff. This was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We've got some <laughs> next two after this are going to be really cool. Yes. So, you know, for that, you know, I, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. If you have any stories, ideas for us, redriverhorror at gmail.com. Again, I'm Eddie Kayazo, the founder of Red River Horror. You can find me on Twitter at Red River Horror. Joe, take them away. I've been your host, Joe Zakreski. You can find me at Red River Joe. And keep traveling those channels of fear.